exploring and experimenting with your life and do what makes you feel good. You know, it's not always practical. We all need to make money to live, but whatever twist you can have on your job or whatever next step you can take to feel more like you're doing what you're, you're supposed to be doing. And you might not know. For me, it's a feeling. I, I know, like I said, when I'm in alignment, I feel good. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that took me a long time of trying different things to figure out what that was. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivate it in their everyday, whether it be through career, relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us, which is what I like to call our active ingredient so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront and live the lives that we were intended to. Hello, welcome back to another active ingredient episode. Today we have an amazing guest and I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Um, I am back in New York and let me tell you, you can definitely feel the energy is completely shifted. I was here this time last year in the middle of the pandemic and oh my God, this weekend just felt absolutely electric. Like I can't even explain to you guys what it's like. So far, I am loving this Miami-New York split, but um, I will say leaving Miami was difficult and I am going back this week for Father's Day. But yeah, I just, little update is that New York is absolutely back. So if you're thinking about coming to visit, please do so. And if you do come, also DM me because I would love to meet up with you guys um, in person. So this week's episode is with Amy Koberling, who is a dermatology physician associate at Bauman Cosmetic in Miami, who I am actually seeing right now because she is helping me with my acne situation. Um, I have talked about this on several podcasts in the past, but I've been going through an acne, a hormonal acne breakout since the height of the pandemic. And so she's helping me out. She is also an amazing content creator. Her account is called The Skin Enthusiast uh, on Instagram and on TikTok. And she puts out so much amazing educational content around skincare. On today's episode, we get into Amy's windy road from first thinking that she wanted to go to law school to then switching to pre-med and then deciding to go the physician associate route instead and why. We talk about all things hormonal acne, which I am super passionate about, obviously, because I am currently going through it. How she started the Skin Enthusiast Instagram account as an outlet while she was working in the ICU and how to grow following while working a full-time job. And of course, we get into all of her incredible tips for personal growth. So with that, welcome Amy Koberling to the show. Okay, well, you know this, but I would love to know what you were like as a kid. You know that I ask every guest Mm -hmm. this question um, that you remember. And do you find that any of those qualities are in what you're doing today? So I definitely was like quieter than my siblings. I was definitely a rule follower. I was a people pleaser, which I definitely still am today. I'm definitely trying to get away from those Mm -hmm. tendencies now more than I I realize them, but definitely a people pleaser. But even as a kid, I think I grew up in a small town in Ohio, small-ish town. I always kind of knew there was like something more for me. I loved where I grew up, how I grew up, like really idealic childhood, but I knew that like something else had to be for me. Like I didn't want to stay there. What do you think was there. that opened that for you? I think honestly, like pop culture and, and movies and music, just seeing how other people lived. I was like, well, I want to do that. I want to go there. Like I want to live this life. Was um, there anything that you remember that like you can call out? Like, I feel like this is like the basic answer, but it's just the truth that got so many people to New York was sex in the city. Oh, you know, like, is there something from your childhood that you remember that like, we're like, it could, it could be a few if it wasn't just one, but like, is there anything that you remember that you're like, Oh wait, that really interested in me? I think the timeframe of like when the OC came out, which was probably a little bit after sex and city, but I was too young. Like I didn't get into sex and city until college, which it was already off the air by that time. But, um, 
I think just seeing like the OC, that, that whole vibe, I started getting into like 17 magazine and reading, I would clip, clip magazine clippings and like hang them on posters. And I, I was very visually stimulated and where I grew up was not really, you know, everyone, no one was really interested in what they wore or anything aesthetic really. I mean, yeah. it just, it just wasn't the culture there. Yeah. So I think I just had this love for, I used to say like all things pretty, anything pretty. <laughs> I love to like look at pretty pictures and cut out from magazines and things like that. So I think just seeing that where there was this whole other world of media, basically, I loved that. How did you get to Miami? So my uh, boyfriend at the time who we met when I was in high school, we went to the same high school, we both went to the University of Cincinnati for college. He was graduating with his master's when I was graduating undergrad, and he had a job offer here. So we moved here together, and my parents thought it was crazy. We had been together for a long time, but yeah. Are you guys him. still together? Yeah, we're married. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. So they just thought it was crazy. Like, how are you going to – like, what are you going to do for work? I had my bachelor's in biology, but I was going to – I was I already knew I was going to PA school, but there's not a whole lot you can do with a bachelor's in biology until you go on to something yeah. different. So like, what are you going to, how are you going to afford it? Like, and, you know, I was like, well, make it work. It'll be fine. And it obviously was. But Okay. So undergrad in biology, mm -hmm. um, what did you think that you wanted to be? Like, did you have a vision of what your life was going to look like, including like this pretty, you know, city type life? I think that I had told myself that that was going to have to be the hobby, right? I was going to have to pick a career that was going to pay the bills and, Midway through college, I switched my major to biology, was, you know, going to go either the pre-med or the pre-PA route and just knew I would probably work in medicine. And then that I would have my hobbies on the side and my interests like most people do, right? Mm -hmm. You go to work, you make money, and then you come home and do the things that you enjoy. Yeah. What was it about medicine that interested you? I was always really good at school. I was a good studier. Um, I always made good grades. And I think that's just what you do, right? You either become, you go into medicine or you become a lawyer. And I had for years, um, you know, wanted to go into law until um, I was studying for the LSAT in college. And I just had like a major breakdown. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, you were this. studying for the LSAT with a biology major? No, this is oh. right before I switched. Oh, oh, okay. I was political science first. So I loved it. I felt, I was like, I love to argue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love, I love politics. I love studying. I love reading. So I thought it would make sense. And then, you know, when it came time, you have all these ideas when you're young and you're going through college of what you want to do. But then when it comes time to actually do those things, you're like, oh crap, I don't, I mean, I you know that this is like the this. biggest topic that we yeah. discuss here. It's because like so they true. expect 18 year olds to make a decision mm -hmm. on where, what they want to do with the rest of their life. And that's just not practical. I mean, that's like literally, I think, I think like at the crux of everything, like probably the reason why this podcast exists is the pressure that we have at such a young age to figure it out right. without even like knowing ourselves. Right. Um, um, you don't totally. even know who you are. Totally. You just know what you want to do. So I guess at that point, what you were looking for was something that kind of like fell in line with the fact that you were good in school and you wanted stability. Mm -hmm. um, and then the LSAT didn't do it for you. So then the natural mm -hmm. progression was going down this pre-PA yeah. route? Yeah, okay. absolutely. So I knew uh, growing up, a lot of my friends' parents were doctors. I had no one in medicine in my family. We had a couple lawyers, but nobody in medicine. And you know, that's just what your teachers always told you when you were good at math and you were, you know, you were on honor roll and you were good at science. They're like, oh, well, you could do this. Okay. Why don't I do that? Um, so and like people take that at face value and it's like, and that's it. Yeah. It's like, those yeah. are your, op like the options are those two things, right. lawyer or doctor. And now I think, I think teenagers and people who are in their early years of college now, just the doors have completely opened for them. There's so many things that they can do. And maybe mm -hmm. they were around then, not all of them, but we just didn't see it or we weren't, it wasn't acceptable to like, what do you, like, way. what do you mean by that? Like what, like the doors that are different for when we were in school versus now you're saying, I think that it's more acceptable to follow your dreams, right? Like, yeah. Um, to do things that you think would be exciting and fun or, you know, not eat, people aren't even going to college anymore if they don't feel like they want that kind of a career. They're, mm -hmm. they're starting off on social media or starting YouTube channel to see where it goes. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think it's more acceptable now to do that. So you went down the PA route. Mm -hmm. Um, you worked in the ICU where, what hospital? I worked for a private group. So oh, we okay. went to four different hospitals down here in South Florida. Okay. What was it that like drew you to that? Cause I feel like with PA, you can go into anything, right? You can. So we're trained as generalists. 
your Can last you explain year. also what a PA is for whoever's listening that doesn't know? Yeah. So it's actually, it's called a physician assistant, but just yesterday, actually our governing body voted to change the name to physician associate because they didn't feel assistant. It can be confusing because some people think, oh, is that like a medical assistant? And it's, it's different. It's a, we're, we're medical practitioners. We go to school and we take a, our own board exam and we can, you know, diagnose illness, prescribe medication and treatments, diagnostics, things like that. Um, it's similar to a nurse practitioner. If you've, if people, so what's the, what's the big difference? Like if you can prescribe, what's the big difference between a PA and a physician associate and Mm -hmm. a doctor and what's the difference in schooling? So that's it. The difference is in schooling and then the way we practice. So you can see PAs as your provider. Like you might, some people might have a primary care provider as a PA or their derm provider as a PA. Um, but we work with a physician always. So um, we have like a supervising physician, it's called. I have multiple of them in my practice. Um, and that's kind of what actually drew me to it because I, I knew that I would always be able to have someone to go to, um, especially if you're in something like ICU. It's, it's, very, um, it's very difficult. It's very dramatic. Um, but so then the difference in schooling is we both go to undergrad. Usually it's similar, um, similar majors, similar, um, prerequisites that you need, Mm -hmm. but medical school is four years. PA school is two years. And then after medical school, they have residency and potentially fellowship. So it's a lot more schooling, a lot more training for PAs. It's between two and three years of a PA school. And then you go into the job. There are some PA residencies, but they're rare. Not a lot of people do them. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our training is on the job. Okay. And then like, if you feel comfortable difference in pay, just for someone that's listening, that is like into it. And also for you, what was, was it the years that you were like, I just want to get starting on working now? Like what, what was your thought process? Yeah, I think that, and I think I was never married to the idea of medicine. I feel like you have to be you have to married. Be. Yeah. It's like imprinted in you. Yeah. And I was exactly what you said. I wanted a stable job. I wanted to do what I love, which I do. I do love being a PA, but I didn't, I didn't want to be held to it for the rest of my life. And I think when you put all of that time and money into becoming a physician, you, you kind of do you, you, and I, I mean, I feel that responsibility now, now I'm like, well, I I have to do this for the long haul because I just put all of that money and effort into it. That's, you know, tripled for, for I know it's like having spoken to people that have gone through the medical school process and at the end of it, not wanting it. It's like, that takes a whole other level of bravery and Mm -hmm. just like, absolutely really taking agency of your life because that's not an easy thing to do. No, definitely yeah. not. And it's very expensive to go to medical school and, and PA school, but it's longer. So you're doubling that for medical school. Okay. Um, and pay, they make, you know, rightfully so they make more money. They have more, you know, they're, the responsibilities are, are tremendous. I think both professions are incredible and they need to work together. We do work together. That's, mm-hmm. that's how healthcare is now. It's comprehensive. We all work on a team. Um, but that being said, you know, you don't go into either of them for the money because it's very, very difficult. And much of the time you're going to have student loans and, and all of those things. But um, how long did it take you, if you don't mind me asking, paying your student loans, your student loans after you graduated? I'm still paying them. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. I'm still paying my student loans. So I, I right out of school refinanced. I was lucky that I got a, a really well-paying job. So, and a job that allowed me to work extra. So I could work extra shifts to make more money. So I refinanced and, you know, got my interest rate down as far as possible. And to do that, you have to pay a lot each month to, in order to qualify for right. those low monthly um, payments. So really, I mean, when I graduated, they were giving you options for like 30 years, 20 years. I picked seven. So what are I, your, what's your thought on that? Because it's like, oh my God, we need, we need yeah. these professionals, but it's like, if you're starting out in your career and you see that hill that you have coming up, like, I don't know, what is your, like, I understand that there has to be barriers to entry because we need excellent professionals, but like money, I don't know if money should be the barrier to entry. Yeah, definitely. I do. I will say, I think there should be more loan repayment programs, which there are some, you can go work, um, in certain areas of the country. And if you do so much time there, the government will pay your loans back, but it's, 
you know, obviously in places that people don't necessarily want to go. So I wish there were more options for that. Like maybe if you went into primary care or you went into a hospital setting, something where you really, you know, you're really working. I mean, every, every, every specialty is important, but I mean, I can understand where they don't want to pay back someone who goes into cosmetic dermatology. Do you know what I mean? But if you're really, you know, with the sickest of the sick, I think, I think that you should be repaid for that. Um, I was lucky that I didn't have any undergrad loans that my parents had paid for that. So I had friends who had those already and then that compounded on their PA school. And you also can't work in PA school. So you, you have to, if you're, if you're taking out loans, you also have to take out loan money to live on for rent and things like that. So crazy. So you went the PA route. Uh, did you have an idea of where you want, you did, you ended up doing ICU, but did, is that what you wanted? Did you land there? And then how long were you doing that for? So when I first started PA school, I, I thought I probably wanted to do dermatology. And then, um, my la- your last year of PA school, you rotate to all different specialties. So like every two months you're switching to a different specialty and working in there. It's great. Um, and I loved emergency medicine. So I what about it? Just the f- it's so fast paced. It's like a puzzle when people are that sick, you really, it's, it's such a rush when you figure it out and you treat them and and you can see them recover. Do you feel like desensitized from being there all the time? Like it's do, like, do you still see everyone as humans or do you see them as cases that need to be fixed? That's a good question. Uh, I worked in the ICU for two years before I switched and it desensitizes you in some ways. I think more like things... St- didn't bother me to see anymore, but it still always bothered me to lose a patient, of course. Like oh, it was yeah, still devastating in some way more than others. Like I remember the f- the first time I like cried when a patient died was the most random. It was a woman who had been in there for months. I mean, she was suffering um, and there was a problem. The, f- um, the family couldn't agree on like DNR orders and stuff. And but she was in her 60s and she had had metastatic breast cancer. And But when I first met her, she was already on the way end of her journey. She wasn't even um, conscious. So, but that, so it's, it's that was your like first? That. that was, it wasn't. Oh. That's what was so interesting about it. It was, I think it was just seeing someone suffer like that for so long. And she was like around the same age as my mom and just seeing the family dynamic of it all. That's the most heartbreaking part, you know, to see people watch their loved ones suffer and see that turmoil within the family where they couldn't agree on what they wanted to do. And that, that stuff is sad. So that's always sad, but do they train you on how to cope or how to, how to like, do they have like psychological, I don't know, like workshops or anything to help people that are working on the floor, how to manage? Not very regularly. I'm sure they're available. And if there's ever, you know, a major situation, they have like bereavement counseling, but a major situation happens all the time, right? In the ICU. So it definitely takes a special person to to do it. And that's why I think sometimes you see healthcare providers get jaded because that's the nature of it, right? Yeah. It's the nature of the system. And you couldn't, you can't be sensitive to all of it or you could never do your job. Right. Okay. So you did it for two years. Did that play a role in you not wanting to do it anymore? I actually loved it. I loved that job so much. Um, but like I said, I knew, I always knew I wanted to end up in dermatology and I, I took the job at ICU because I wanted, two years is short, PA school is short. So I really wanted to cement like my medical knowledge before I specialized into something like dermatology. Um, you know, I went through all that work. I wanted to actually work in medicine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. and. Um, so I, it was, it kind of happened like serendipitously. I, my husband's boss, who we were very close with, he was like a second dad to us. He knew someone, um, who was a cosmetic dermatologist who was hiring and he called me and I, I knew of this practice. It's like famous here in Miami. I knew of it, of course. So he called me, I was on a girl's trip in New Orleans and he's like, there's an opening, like you have to send your resume right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So <laughs> like, I'm like frantically updating my, my resume on my phone. Like can't even really see what I'm doing. Cause I don't have access to a computer. And so I got that job. So had that not come up, I probably would have been in ICU a lot longer. Continued it. But, Did you feel like, were you like, I've had enough? Like one, obviously this was like a great opportunity and you were excited about it and had the background of wanting to be in dermatology, but like, were you like, I'm not going to go back to ICU after this. So like, did you have a moment of being like, 
this is it. This is where I part ways with it. And like, you were okay with it. Or did you feel like you wanted to go more in that route? Because I, I mean, I don't know, you can potentially go back to it, but I don't know if you had that thought. It'd be difficult to go back now. Yeah. But, you know, the longer you're out of it, the more difficult it would be to go back. Um, I definitely was, it was bittersweet for sure. Because like, I guess, like I said, I could have worked there for a lot longer. I really, really loved it. Um, but that was like the, the opportunity of a lifetime. So I didn't really. So where, that. where are you now? I'm at Bauman Cosmetic, which is right here in um, Miami, like design district area um, with Dr. Bauman, Dr. Leslie Bauman. She is a famous cosmetic dermatologist, so incredibly intelligent and and talented. And we also do research studies in the same clinic. So it's really state of the art. Like everything is top of the top. So that's why it was just something I could Okay. Say no walk to. me through what your day-to-day looks like. Like what cases are you seeing now? Right now it is end of May of 2021. So we've had masks on for a very long time. Like, are you seeing something consistently? And also what's your day-to-day like now in a post-COVID world? So we are still, I would say about half time I'm seeing people in office, in person. And then half the time I'm still doing virtual appointments, um, you know, somewhat to accommodate those people. And then also because we can't, we're not packing the office full of people like, you know, we were Mm -hmm. in the pre-COVID era in the before time. Um, So I'm seeing people half and half virtually and in clinic. I do a lot of skincare. I obviously am doing procedures um, more. Now people are doing a lot more procedures. I'm sure you've probably heard of like Zoom face and everyone's interested in doing, you know, everything, fixing all these things that they're noticing. Their Botox, Mm -hmm. everything, their lips, everything's happening. So interesting. And I've, I've felt it. I felt it myself psychologically for sure. I'm like, wait, I didn't notice that my bottom teeth have moved or hold up. Do I have 11s? Like literally like, (laughs) you know, and I feel like I, like I was on zoom before, but I don't know something about the consistency I think has really, really shown a light on our faces. I think so. And you know, zoom is like so unflattering just the way the angle and everything, like you're just staring at your face all day and you're like, Oh my gosh, is this what I look like? (laughs) But I actually, I notice it too, just with social media, with filming and videos and, and things like that. I think we're just so much more aware of every single little flaw that probably only we notice, but yeah. you know, the, that's the world we live in. And we have things that we can do to fix those things. So yeah. If it is something that really bothers you, you know, there's options. So what is it about dermatology that, that like draws you in? I feel like you had this itch from before. Yeah. So like, what is it about it that really brings I, you to do it? I think it's the aesthetic side. So like when I was little, I was, Oh, I loved, like I said, all things pretty. I just, I think it's, we live in such a harsh world that to be able to put focus on something that isn't so sad and depressing and can uplift people and make them feel good, I think that's why I love it so much. Okay, so walk us through what a day is there. Okay, so I usually get to work around nine um, and then I see a variety of different patients. So for our skincare patients, they do a whole test at home that determines their skin type. One of There's actually 16 different skin types based on the skin typing system that we use, which really helps us narrow in on like what the best regimen is for them, what the best treatment is, what their concerns are, what their skin type is. And um, so they'll come and do that. We have um, a special camera called the Vizia camera that we take everyone's photo in that tells us like their underlying sun damage, underlying redness, things that you can't see with a naked eye. And then we do like a comprehensive consult, get them on a good plan based on what their concerns are and what their skin type is. So I see a lot of skincare regimens. I see a lot of acne, a lot of rosacea. Um, and then cosmetic procedures. So they're all sprinkled in throughout the day, both things. I don't do a whole lot of general derm other than rosacea, acne, some eczema. We're not doing like skin cancer screenings, things like that. Um, 16 skin types. Yeah. What? So, yeah. So there's four different parameters. So you're either dry or oily, sensitive or resistant, pigmented or non-pigmented. And that can be like, you could have freckles, but they don't bother you. So we would put you in the non-pigmented category. But if there's hyperpigmentation that does bother you and you want to treat, we're going to put you in the pigmented category and then wrinkle prone or tight. So based on those four things, when you combine them, you can get 16 different skin types. I need to do this. It's really, really cool. And it really opens your eyes to 
Okay. No wonder nothing's been working all this time. Like that's what I want to, okay. I want to get to like the elephant in the room that I feel with dermatology. And it's like, I have always been acne prone, like Mm -hmm. literally since my teens, I've always been acne prone. I am turning 30 in July. I still have like crazy acne and right now it's hormonal acne, but like, to be honest, I've really pretty much always had acne and I've gone to, I don't know, at this point, I don't know how many dermatologists and I always leave feeling so defeated. And it's always the same thing. Like one time it's, do you want to do Accutane? One time it's spironolactone. One time it's like, whatever this topical and I'll do it. And it's nothing happens. And it's just so frustrating. It's like the most frustrating thing in the world when like you eat healthy, you do all these things. And then the skin is still, I've never heard of these, of this type of skin testing. No one's ever like gone to that length to do, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, testing all those different things. But I feel like I can't be alone in this feeling of just so disappointed every time that I go see a dermatologist. And, you know, at one point I did, I threw in the towel and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go on Accutane because I literally can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. I did Accutane. I didn't see it all the way through. My skin got a lot better, but it was just a lot of my body. And I was like, okay, I I just can't, I don't want to continue. And also like the second part of that, of the, why I didn't continue on the Accutane, uh, journey was that it was so annoying with my insurance every single time trying to call them to get the generic one to not have to pay a thousand dollars. That's what yeah. they were quoting me, by the way, a thousand dollars every month for every time that I needed to refill right. my prescription, going to get the blood work done, telling you like, if you got pregnant, by the way, like you're going to have to have an abortion, like, yeah. you know, like all of these different things that are so overwhelming. And that was like me throwing in the towel because I had such a bad experience with dermatologists before. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like on my own journey trying to figure it out. And I'm like, it's just so much. Yeah. SOS. It is. It is a lot. Yeah. So th- there's a lot. Sorry for my rant. Lot. but there's like that's lots to unpack there. But yeah. But like, that's it. how I feel. And I know, like, I know even in my friend group, like I know I'm not alone in absolutely, this. Yeah. So like help us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I feel like I have someone like you in my office almost daily. Like I've tried everything. I've done everything. Why is this happening? I'm almost 30. Right. So uh, we know that about 30 to 40% of people will either have persistent or new acne by the time they're an adult. And we do see it a little bit more in, in females, like female adult acne. Um, it's so, so common in my, the demographic that I have in my office is, is probably majority female adult acne. Um, but so the, the, I guess the most common things that I'll notice, um, when I have someone in the office who has tried everything in the past and gone to different dermatologists and didn't have a resolution is number one, uh, persistent. So acne is an eight week cycle. So you need at least eight weeks of your top of your topical regimen before you'll even start to see a change. So some people will get lucky and they'll see it sooner, but I always advise people if you don't see a change after six, seven weeks, it's okay. Don't worry. The other thing is I always see people every four weeks. So follow-up is huge with acne because you know, a lot of skin is trial and error. So we have our modalities that we know work 99% of the time, but it's so important to follow up, to see how you're doing, to see what reactions you're having to different products, to see how your acne is, because that helps us then tailor the regimen from there. So following up is so important, being consistent every morning and every evening with your regimen. You know, um, what are some of the other things that I see? The, we talked about a little bit about kind of the lifestyle portion of it. So sometimes yeah. <laughs> there's things like, oh, increased whey protein, increased B vitamins, things like that, that we know cause these breakouts, especially in adults. So if you're not addressing those issues or- So you guys do do that asking, in your practice. You yeah, absolutely. So for context, guys, I, Amy and I had a call before doing the podcast mm-hmm. and I was telling her about my skin situation and she told me to remove the B12. And I actually did notice a difference Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Not that it removed my acne, but I did notice like the inflammation of it was definitely down. Um, so when you see patients, you, you ask them all these questions, like you say, like, what are you putting in your smoothies or like, what are things that you're consuming daily? Yeah, absolutely. What is their diet? Like we know that, um, you see like today I've never gone to a dermatologist asking that just to give you. And the thing is, if you're, A lot of times, even so, you don't necessarily have to cut those things out completely. If you're on the right regimen, you may be able to control it. And we've talked about hormonal acne too. Sometimes with hormonal acne, you can get it, you can get it to a good place with just topicals, but it's a different, sometimes those, those oral medications, like we talked about, like spironolactone or, or, um, birth control pills are necessary to regulate your hormones. And I know, especially in this day and age, people don't want to take pills. And I get that. I don't want to take pills. I don't like taking pills. 
you know, we all want to be as healthy as possible, as healthy as we can without having those external factors. But the reality is they're largely incredibly safe medications. They've been studied um, and they're effective. So if you're, you know, if, if it's someone who's miserable and you've been on the right regimen, I like to give my patients, you know, 12 or 16 weeks of they're on everything that they should be doing. You know, they're on the retinoid, they're on the right cleanser, the right moisturizer, they're wearing sunscreen, all those things. And if we're still not at a point that we're happy, then let's consider the oral medications. The only exception is, is if they're scarring right from the bat. So no one should be living with acne scars in 2021. We, you know, those medications like Accutane are life-changing medications and they're fabulous in the right setting. So if someone's coming into me and they're scarring, they have severe cystic acne that's leaving scars, I'm going straight to the, those things. I'm not going to make because them once wait. Because once you have those cystic uh, pimples, you can't reverse the, it. The scarring is very difficult to treat. True acne scarring. There's a difference between acne scarring and like the little flat brown marks that are left over. Yeah. Those are treated easily with, with topicals. Oh, okay. even. Just the Most of the treatments that we put you on for acne will also target that pigmentation that's left over. Okay. But true acne textured scarring is much more difficult to treat. Okay. Let's talk about hormonal acne specifically, because I feel like the conversation of hormones has just exploded in the past year. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I told you that I had a hormonal like situation imbalance happen in April of 2020, probably brought on by stress. My testosterone levels were out of control. And I think a lot of women are in this and, you know, hormonal acne being a, a major component of acne in general. Um, what's your biggest take on it? Do you guys work with an endocrinologist to like work together on figuring out the, hor the hormone acne or do you go straight to uh, an oral? Yeah. So I'll usually always refer to an endocrinologist for the initial workup to make sure we're, it's not a sign of something else going on, like polycystic ovarian syndrome or something like that. I want to make sure that we're doing that full workup. There's limited labs that I'll do um, before I'll put somebody on spironolactone. But if I'm really concerned, I'm going to send them to an endocrinologist first. Um, so spironolactone is one that you would recommend for hormonal acne. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was recommended um, for my endocrinologist actually. Yeah. Um, but I've heard of this and like, I'm happy for you to, you know, demystify this, but is it true that spironolactone only works when you're on spironolactone and then the second you get off of it, it comes back? So that depends. So it will only regulate those hormones while you're on it. Um, I've had people successfully come off of it without an issue. And I've had people who have flared um, while coming off of it. Now you should never be on an oral alone. Well, it, when you're on Accutane, you're only on gentle cleansers and gentle moisturizers. When you're on spironolactone, you're on a comprehensive acne regimen. Either of those two things, before you come off, I'm, I we're, we're in the office eight weeks before with a game plan. Okay. What are you going to use from now until then to reduce your risk of a flare when you come off of it? But why? Okay. But like me as a person that like, and most people don't like to take pills, like why is the acne happening in the first place? Like, let's like not even say hormonal acne. Cause like, obviously that can just be your hormones, but like what, why does acne happen in the first place? And like, is it one of those things that compounds, like you said, like you wait eight weeks to see, to see even the first signs of healing. Like, is it one of those things that the longer you have it, the longer it's going to take to go away? Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to understand acne. <laughs> uh, not necessarily the longer you have it, the longer it will take to go away. But um, many of the times when I have people who come in with what they call a face full of acne and I look, it's maybe they have a few active lesions, but most of it is leftover pigmentation, which is always a relief to me because that we can, we can treat. Um, but acne happens for various reasons. So it, it, there's a misconception that it can only happen with oily skin, people with oily skin, but we know that's not true. Oil, you know, sebum production is just one thing that has to happen. There's different uh, acne bacteria that lives on the skin, inflammation, and then the way that our skin cells um, slough off of our skin. All of those things um, can create a, a pimple. So how do you identify the difference between like the bacteria type acne or like the lifestyle, like what you're eating? Is it dairy type acne? It's a lot of, um, you know, the more you see patients, you start to see those trends. Um, we have the camera that will look at your bacteria levels, but it's not perfect. Also your age, just the way you're presenting in general, like for instance, with hormonal acne, there's other things that we look for, like hair growth in areas that you don't usually have it, or maybe you're, you're a woman and you're having hair thinning, other things that would point us to this hormonal imbalance. Um, if it's, if it's someone who, um, all of a sudden they come in and it's like a 30 year old man and he's like, I just have this huge eruption of acne all over my back and my chest that's going to tell me, okay, maybe he just started 
taking away protein or started B12 vitamins or something like that. So you start to see the trends and you know what to look for. The good thing is a lot of acne um, can be treated with the same medications to, uh, regardless of the actual cause of it, aside from someone who needs to remove something like they're adding in the B12 or something like that. Got it. So if it's bacterial, it doesn't matter if you do topical or oral. No, it does. It does matter. But, um, you know, if, if you're, if you have acne that doesn't have any hormonal component, the spironolactone isn't going to do much, but you know, for everybody, they're on a retinoid They're depending on their skin type. They're sometimes on some sort of a chemical exfoliant. There's other topical acne medications that aren't retinoids. So it's a lot of the way they present and just knowing based on their age, based on their gender, based on what they're telling you yeah. and how their acne is presenting. It's so overwhelming. I know that. Well, that's it's why so it's, overwhelming. it's best to, to be guided, right? Skincare in general is overwhelming, even if you have perfect skin. So if you're dealing with something like acne and rosacea, yeah. it's best to be guided. And it may, it might take you a couple of times to find someone that you vibe with and that you feel like you're being heard. I think that that is in any specialty these days, you, yeah. you want to make sure that whoever your provider is, you feel like you're being heard and that they get you and that they're not scoffing. If you say you don't want to do oral, or if you're, you know, if you're asking about diet and they're not, they that make sure they're not ignoring it, things like that. Okay. Well, the fact that it's overwhelming is actually a great segue into your content platform, Skin Enthusiasts. It's so good. I love the name. Thank you. Um, you're really big on education and trying to educate your followers as much as you possibly can. And like a follower, it's very overwhelming. So I really appreciate, you know, the work that goes into it. How did you start creating content? Like how long ago did you start and what was your mission behind doing it? So it's actually interesting. I started my Instagram account when I was in right after I graduated PA school. So I was going into critical care, but there was a few months um, after PA school before school, before my job started that I was just kind of like at home doing nothing. So I had, oh, I was such a blogger fan, like the OG bloggers. I love them so much. That Throw some, throw some OGs out there just for a little throwback. um, Gal Meets Glam, Sincerely Mm. Jewels, Jewels. all of them. Um, But it goes back to the whole, my whole love of aesthetics and looking at it's it, basically my love of magazines where I used to cut out snippets as I got older, just turned into my love of Pinterest and Instagram and looking at these gorgeous photos and editorials and things like that. So I was like, Oh, let me, let me just do it. Let me create an account. And it was actually fashion focused in the beginning. Mm. So kind of fashion lifestyle, but I would do a lot of style, um, posts, uh, it was small for, you know, it's still small, but tiny for a very long time. For and what's a very long time. Cause I feel like a lot, like we talk, we, you know, this, but we talk about this in the podcast a lot is this whole instant gratification culture. Yeah. Um, and people probably are dying to start content or like have mm-hmm. be like a content creator. What was that like for you? And like, what were you ever discouraged from the growth? Yeah, I was definitely discouraged. It took me years. I mean, a few years before I even hit 10 K, which is like this ethereal number that everybody, all smart, small creators want on Instagram because of the features that you get with it. But it was years. And yeah, I was very discouraged. I, I had a lot of friends that I had met through the platform and some of them would just blow up and it's, you know, that comparison game where you're like, what am, what am I not doing right? You know? Um, but it took me a long, long time before I ever, you know, made a dime, which was never what I wanted from the platform, but that is kind of that validation of like, okay, I'm doing something that other right. people find valuable. Um, so I started that I was, I was doing it all through, um, my career in the ICU. It was kind of my, my way to disconnect again from, this difficult, um, high stress environment, I could then do this kind of fun and fluffy stuff on the side. So it was like two different worlds. And that's how I kind of fostered my creativity during that time when my job was was your outlet. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, then I would, I would talk, I even love skincare then for years. I was such a fan of skincare. So I would talk about it. So what year was this? Sorry to interrupt. Gosh, let's see. What are we in 2021? So I started in critical care in 2016. So it would have been 2016. Okay. Very different platform and algorithm. Yeah. I'm curious, like, were there any hesitations from you on like being nervous to start? Like, think about the person who's listening who may be like, I want to do it, but like, what will my friends think? Or like, (laughs) what will like, you know, my high school friends think? Or, you know, I feel like it's, it goes through everyone's mind. So I'm curious what your thought process was and how you... 
So I started a completely new account. I know that some people will just transform their actual personal account into it. I was so, I didn't want anyone to know I was doing it. So I had this whole new account. I didn't tell anybody that I worked with that I had it. Um, My husband and like our very close friends were the only ones who knew and they just made fun of me 24 (laughs) seven, which is fine. I was making fun. I still make fun of myself. Um, But so I did, I was like embarrassed in a way. Like I didn't want anyone to think that like, Number one, I didn't take my career seriously. That wasn't the most important. I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't putting 100% into that. And then, you know, also it just, I didn't want people to think I took myself that seriously either. Do you totally, know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Um, so it why was, do we care so much about what everyone thinks now? Oh my gosh. I'm completely different. I'm a completely different. I know, but now. it's like, we need to get in the mindset because like the yes. active ingredient listener probably wants to start it. Yeah, you know, and you should, you should start it. Don't be afraid what anyone thinks. I think now, even now, just, this is just a few years later, there are just so many new accounts. And I think it's Almost like most people who are in a profession, like in my profession, you almost have to have an Instagram really? that you That's put so interesting. that kind of effort into. It's like your advertising. So it's I like think, your portfolio. Exactly. So I think now it's just so much more normalized. Um, so but, you didn't want to do it on your personal. You did it on uh, anonymous, not yeah. anonymous. I mean, it was your face. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. me, but I just didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it. How did you, without like telling anyone, how did you build that following? it took a long time and people eventually found out like, um, people I work with found it, which, and everyone was like super cool about it. Like, you know, they would, you know, poke jabs, but like everyone was really nice about it. Um, and it took a long, long time of, of following like creators and interacting and, you know, years of, I didn't hit 10,000 until, like I said, like two years ago, year and a half ago. So my growth has been slow, but steady, which I'm thankful for now. What are your biggest tips for someone that wants to start? Like consistency, I know is a really big one. Using all the different functions is a big one. Yes. Um, But yeah, any tips for someone that wants to start doing it and like what they can expect from the the platform? Yeah. I think if you go in with a mindset that you're, it's going to take a long time and you're not going to go viral, especially on Instagram and you're in it for the long haul, I think that it's totally fine. You might go viral. You might get lucky. I've seen it happen even in the past couple of years. Um, but just consistency. And I do, I still think that the aesthetic really matters on Instagram. Not like it used to your feed doesn't have to be this like amazing, immaculate, Mm -hmm. um, art piece anymore, but it, the aesthetic still matters because there are a lot of creators to follow. And I know myself, I like something that's visually appealing. So that's what people look for, but also, you know, you have to show up on stories and show yourself and, and talk to people and be real with people. So there's, there's a lot of different, um, factors, but I also think you, you know, if you're, you can kind of see which way you want to take it. Like there's accounts that never show their face and it's like infographics, you know, if you're really good at something, then definitely go that route, you know, run with that. I didn't start, I really did, had no intentions of being a skincare account. I, I really, even now I still, my, I really like to talk more lifestyle, but it's very clear. People show you what they want to see from you. And yeah. that was just, it was very clear that once I started talking about skincare, that's what people wanted. So, so how long were you doing fashion before going to the skincare? I, I think I started pivoting skincare pretty much immediately once I went into der- dermatology because I was at that point learning so much that I was, I felt like I was on the other end where I'm like, what? How, I wish I would have known this five years ago. So I'm like, I have to tell people. Totally. You know, and now it's just, it's snowballed and people will ask different questions. Sometimes I, it's things that, you know, when you work in dermatology, you don't realize aren't common knowledge. Yeah. Give me an example of something that like really resonated with your community. Like I, I, as a follower, I feel like I really love to hear those like insider tips and what you're saying is so true. Like you do it every day. So like people are probably like, you probably think like, well, people care, but it's like a mind blowing thing for people that don't work in that industry. Like what has really resonated and what's something that you're like, oh my God, I need to shout this from the rooftops to help as many people as possible. I, the only one that comes to mind right now, which is probably the biggest, is like sunscreen and makeup and sunscreen and moisturizers. Um, we, you really, you shouldn't rely on those as your sunscreen. So I'll have people who will like send me their whole regimen and it's like, oh, this, this, and this. And then, oh, but you didn't mention sunscreen. Oh, that's it's in my makeup, but you're definitely not applying enough makeup to get sunscreen. And sunscreen is the absolute mo- most important thing that you can do for your skin. No matter the, no matter the condition, no matter what you're trying to treat, 
um, for, for anti-aging purposes, obviously for skin cancer purposes. If you know, if you're doing anti-aging, if you're doing your vitamin C and your retinol and you're like trying to lighten hyperpigmentation or you're trying to prevent aging, but you're not wearing a sunscreen, it's literally useless. You're throwing your money down the drain. So I think, um, is that true for all skin types? Yeah, absolutely. Every and all skin, skin colors. Yes. So those with more melanin in their skin don't have, um, they don't have as robust of a reaction or, or they have a little bit more built in natural protection, but even, even so they still need it. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So what, what's your vision with the platform? Like what's your next step or do you have, like, what's, what, what would you love to see with the skin enthusiasts? That's such a, that's the million dollar <laughs> question, right? So like I said, I do really love to talk lifestyle. I love sharing parts of my life. I don't only talk about skincare. So I liked, I would love to keep that, you know, I have, I have such a relationship with my community. Um, I don't, I don't want to step away. Like I, I, I always want it to be me, not me stepping away from like the skin enthusiast as a brand. But that being said, I know that it needs to grow somewhere because I need to find a place for skin enthusiast versus Amy. And I just yeah. haven't quite figured out what that is yet. But I also know, you know, I will, it will, I will have something else. I just, I'm not, I am writing a book, but it's taken me like forever. I don't, it's very early. I'm, well, I'm about halfway done with the content of it, but I haven't even begun to start the process of like, how do you write a book? Like, how do you publish a book? I have no idea. Um, So that eventually I would like to have done in the next couple of years. What's the topic? It's going to be like um, a skincare encyclopedia, but for the average, you know, for the every girl, something that you can take with you when you're shopping or, you know, you get a new product from Sephora and you want to be like, what the heck does that do? And like, kind of look it up with some other, just kind of like basic skincare knowledge, but something pretty that you're like proud to display on your bedside table or, or things like that. Um, but it's, you know, and I have, you know, I think everyone, most people in this space probably have dreams for a brand or something like that one day. So there's a lot of ideas up here. Yeah. I just have to. It's actually really interesting to me that you say that anyone in the field has to be doing this and be your portfolio. I, one of my questions for you actually in the prep was like, how does your company feel about Mm -hmm. you doing this outwardly? Like, was it a negotiation that you had to like say like, I need to continue to do this? Um, because I feel like a lot of people that work full time for other companies may have conflicts, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky in the sense that I would say 60 to 70% of my patient base finds me on Instagram. So it's really a win-win for both of us because most of my patients are finding me that way anyways. Um, so I'm lucky that they go hand in hand. And I, what I do is not taking away from what I do every day in my full-time job, right? If I'm, yeah. And vice versa. So they complement each other so nicely. Everything that I am educating myself on applies to both platforms because it's skincare either way. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask, what's your take on Botox? Uh, at what age do we, or should we consider doing it? Um, how often should we consider doing it? If you've started all of those mm-hmm. things, I just, I want to do like a Botox Q and a. <laughs> yeah, that's so fun. So I think Botox is a fantastic, um, medication, injectable medication. I started personally at 25, way before I was ever even in derm, but because yeah. I had an interest in dermatology and I was already, um, kind of educating myself on it. I knew the importance of starting early for prevention. So I started when I was in PA school. Is that true? Starting yes. early for prevention. Yeah, okay. it's true. So the way I like to explain it is think of you have a, a paper, a piece of paper and you fold it and unfold it, fold it and unfold it, you know, hundred times a day. So every time we're speaking or animating, we're moving our muscles. So every time we move our muscle, we're creating a crease in the skin. So if you um, have Botox that relaxes the muscle, so you can still move, but you're not making a crease. And if you don't crease, you're never going to form a wrinkle. So that's how that works. Um, similarly, if you wait, not, you know. That was I'm not such saying, a good analogy. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Wow. So I, the other analogy I like to tell my older patients who come in um, who already have very deep set wrinkles, it would be like folding a silk shirt in your drawer for however old you are, 45, 50, 60 years, and then hanging it up in the closet and expecting it to just, the the, the folds, the wrinkles to go away. It won't. It, it's going to take you consistently a lot of treatments of Botox before you're going to notice that line um, smooth out. It may never even disappear. But for someone who's young, if you're noticing lines, you're 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 
you have a good chance of them completely disappearing with Botox, but you have to keep up with it every three to four months. So if you stop, nothing's going to happen. You're going to go back to looking how you did before you did the Botox. You're not going to look worse. Um, it's not hurting you. It's just you. <laughs> that was one of my fears. Is that like, am I going to start drooping? Right. Like, that, is it going to yeah. like, you know, that's, that's a fear of course. And uh, like any medical procedure there, there are risks and complications that you'll, you know, talk to your provider about. I'm sure everyone saw the poor influencer with the, with the ptosis, the lid ptosis. No, I didn't see it. I'll send it to you later, but. Um, oh, that hurt. I yeah, was like, yeah. Yes. So that's a, that's a known complication of Botox, but it's very rare. I've personally never seen it, but it, we know that it happens. It can happen. So what do you do if that happens? Um, so she kind of detailed it very well. Um, she went to an amazing nurse practitioner. I can't remember. I wish I could remember her name to give her a shout out, but, um, she actually did a little bit of a very small injection of Botox on the lid itself to help give her some relief to lift it. Um, and then there's drops, there's eye drops you can do, but re really you just have to, it's a waiting Wait it game. out. That's the good, the good thing about Botox is that, you know, it, it only lasts three to four months if there's a complication, but the bad thing is it only lasts three to four months. You have to keep doing it. Um, but for her, when that setting, that complication usually doesn't last the full three to four months. It usually wears off in like six weeks. What's the most like satisfying thing for you and what you do on a day to day? Like, is it that you're instilling confidence in people um, is it medically that you're like, I can't believe that we're able to do this. What's like the, what's the deeper thing that you're so excited to do every day? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think sometimes people underestimate, especially if you've never gone through it, the toll that something like acne or any skin issue can have on you. You know, we know that there is a high correlation with acne and depression and anxiety and things like that, because it really does make a difference on how we live our lives. So just, you know, being able to get a patient to clear, almost clear, or even if we're not treating acne, even if it's just a skincare regimen, um, you know, having someone back in the office who just feels like a million bucks. I mean, that's like, makes it all worth it for sure. Ugh, the acne struggle is so real. It is. I actually had a very um, significant hormonal acne breakout when I was 25 before I was in derm. And, um, it was awful. I never, I would have a few pimples here and there growing up, like in high school. And then it, it was just like, so rough. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want we, it was like wedding season. All of our friends were getting married. I didn't want to go to weddings. I was like wearing my hair. So it covered my cheeks. It's like so frustrating. And you know, I look at it now, I have like an acne folder on my phone to like chronicle. Cause it really was like from the height of the pandemic. I always had pimples, but like, this is just another level. Right. Um, and it really, it's like, I, it doesn't stop me from doing anything, but it's like, for example, going to the beach and I don't want to wear makeup. Yeah. It's like, I hope I don't see anyone, you right. know, because I'm right. not going to wear makeup right. at the beach. It's just, I yeah. know it's like, it sounds like vain, but it's like, it, it really, it does not. And that's what I mean. It's not vain. I mean, it's, it, it, it's totally valid. And frustrating when you feel it's frustrating when you feel like you're doing everything in your power to, you know, make it right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the biggest thing is, is consistency and follow-up. So, um, when I do have patients who are frustrated, it's generally because, you know, a prescription ran out or, or they stopped because maybe their acne got worse, which can happen, or they didn't see a difference in a few weeks. So they stopped. And that's why a lot of my initial visit is, is education, education, education. Like what can I, we go through everything. I send them home with printouts so that, cause you don't remember everything that your provider tells you. Again, overwhelming. Yeah. It's a lot. And, <laughs> yeah. and even then sometimes they'll be like, they'll come back in and, Oh, my hyperpigmentation is not getting better. Oh, how much sunscreen are you using? Oh, I'm using the one you gave me. Okay. Show me how much. And it's like, well, that's why, that's why it's not getting better. Is Elta so. MD. Yeah, it's fantastic. Where it's at? Okay. The biggest thing with sunscreen is there the best sunscreen is the one you're going to wear. So any sunscreen that you find that you feel that it feels nice on your skin, it looks nice, um that's the one that is for you. You just have to make sure you're wearing enough. So it's a the estimate is about half a teaspoon for your face. So that's a lot more than you would Thing. Think. So if you just I always tell my patients measure it out just one time so you can see and get the feel for how much it is. Um, cause that's, that's usually the biggest issue with, with, um, one teaspoon. Yeah. I feel like for Alta, I don't know if you use it. I feel like that's like a pump and a half. I, there's, they have different bottles. Mm. Um, but I will say I use Alta elements and I use between four and five pumps of it. Alta. I don't it's know. like, it looks, it's like a triangle bottle with a pump. They have a bunch oh, of different that's not, ones. That's not the one that I use. Yeah. So just, um, just measure it out. It'll be easier. I need to know what's, what's your, what's, which one's the one that you use for Malta? Uh, I use either the Alta Restore or the Alta Elements. They're both tinted sunscreens. So 
if you're dealing with hyperpigmentation, which I have melasma, you want to tint, a tinted sunscreen. Um, they have something called iron oxides in them, and that helps protect from visible light. So it's the visible light is also called blue light, and mm-hmm. we know that blue light makes pigmentation worse. So whether you're dealing with acne marks that are brown or red or hyperpigmentation from melasma or other, you know, quote unquote sunspots, you want to use something that's tinted daily to protect you from the blue light. Got it. Okay. Well, I have to ask you the question. What I kind of feel like you kind of hinted towards it, but what would you say is your current active ingredient and has it changed throughout your career? And yeah, what, what would you say it is right now? So I think whatever I'm doing, I'm like in search of alignment in some way. That's, I think the biggest thing for me as I've gotten older and gone through these different stages in my life, nothing, nothing is worth my peace and everything I do, everything, of course, you know, my goal is to help others, but selfishly, this is all to somehow give me, give me the life that I want to live where I'm able to spend time with my family and my friends and do what's important to me. I think gone are the days where you had to be a slave, you know, nine to five and hate your life and hate your work. We all have options. You know, it might be easier for some of us and I definitely don't take that for granted, but I think I know in the morning when I wake up and I feel aligned and that's, those are the best days. Those are when I know. What do those days look like? Like what happens in those days and how can you like recreate that that's going to happen every day? I think just feeling fulfilled and doing, saying yes to things I want to say yes to and saying no to the things I want to say no to. I, like I said, I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I was, I was like always saying yes to everything all the time. So I think just knowing my own boundaries and knowing that I need boundaries are so hard. It's so hard. What per, I feel like you're, you love podcasts and we're going to get into like your favorite podcast, but I feel like you're big on personal growth and just like yeah. always like making sure that you're, you know, in pursuit of alignment. What has really worked for you? Like has, have you done any, I don't know if therapy or like read books or, mm-hmm. or a specific podcast or something that like you feel has helped you because boundaries isn't something that you just like one day to the next are like, Oh, I'm a person with boundaries. Yeah. Oh gosh. So many. I do. I'm, I do love, um, personal development and, um, podcasts and books. I love the Gabby Bernstein books. I don't know if you same. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I read all of them. Yeah. So I was like for the past year and a half, I've been kind of intrigued by the law of attraction. And then actually it was on your podcast, Jessica. Um, she's the beauty editor. Oh, Christina Rodolfo. Christina Rodolfo. I love her. I follow her on Instagram. She's amazing. I blanked on her name for a second, but I love her. I listened to her podcast and she was talking about the book, the secret and I was like, okay, I've seen this book everywhere. After she Sifat said that, also said the secret. I oh maybe it was her. I can't remember which one, but I like literally went on Amazon and bought it because I was like, okay, this is a sign. I've been seeing it everywhere. I need to I need to read it, and it just opened up this whole door for me. And I like cannot stop consuming content on the law of attraction. I listen to a podcast about it. I listen to book. Or I read books about I it. To, I need to reread it. I read it a very very long time ago. I will say it's it's a kind of cheesy, but it does kind of prime your brain to think differently. And the thing I always tell myself is like thoughts are sticky. So if I think one thought, it's going to attract like thoughts. So if I'm thinking something bad or if I'm down on myself or I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to work today or this day stinks, like more bad thoughts are going to come my way. And the more you think them, the more that they happen. Mm -hmm. So I try to just like from the moment I wake up, wake up and say like, oh, I'm thankful for this day. And what are all the good things that are happening to me today? You know, and just move forward in that trajectory. And it, it truly has changed my life. I'm trying to get my husband on board because I'm like, I'm over here manifesting good shit. Like you got to get on board. Honestly, the fact that I'm even in Miami right now is a manifestation from the law of attraction. And it's like, it sounds so woo. -woo And like, if I would have heard me say this, like seven years ago, I would have been like, girl has gone off the deep end. Like, are you, are you good? But like now it's like literally anyone who listens, like any platform I can possibly speak about. I'm like, it works. Mm -hmm. It actually really works. Yeah. Um, And I do find that like every book kind of like weaves it in. So it's like constantly reading. It's like if you read it. Everyone calls it something different, but it's all the same. It's all the same thing. And like, I'm a firm believer that you need to, at least this is my experience, is that like you need to continue the reading of it or you need to continue the, the learning more about it because if not, I, I just feel like I revert back to like n- not having that on the forefront, I guess, of my Absolutely. mind, you know, yeah, and tr- even yeah. if it's like a, a, another different type of book or a different author, a different podcast, like it's, it just constantly being in the forefront of your mind reminds you 
to think that way. Yeah, totally. Even like if I'm watching, you know, if there's like a show I'm binging or if I'm reading uh, like a regular novel, I always like need to take a day break and like read or consume something about it because when it's not in your brain, you're not practicing it. You're not thinking about it. Yeah. That's why I find I haven't done this in a while. My boyfriend does it still every day, but Daily Stoic, mm-hmm. it's like a book that you just read one page every day. It's like very easy to do. I feel like even that at like the bare minimum is really, really helpful because it's just one page and it's just reminding your brain to think yeah. about those things. I've heard a lot about that, but I haven't read it right now. I'm reading the magic. It's by the same mm-hmm. author of the secret. And it's basically like 28 days. There's a prompt each morning and it's, it basically jumpstarts you into the practice. It's mostly centered around gratitude, which as you know, like the law of attraction is centered around, Right. So it's, gratitude practice, you guys, I yes. sound like a broken record, a broken record. I've literally talked about this on every single podcast and it, it just rewires your brain. Like yeah. I can't put it any other way aside from that. It's a very easy next step to do. And it's like three things, just write three things yeah. down that you're grateful for. But it, it is at the center of every single manifestation book or like universe law of attraction book. Yep. It's so true. And that's actually, uh, in the questions when I was reading and you were asking about like your literal active ingredient, a gratitude practice is mine for sure. It's just so important. How do you do it? Like what's so like the right actual practice? In the magic right now, they, they tell you to do 10. So I write right now I'm doing 10, but like before that and after that's over, I'll usually I just think it, I don't necessarily write it down. Um, but we live like kind of when you walk out of our street, the bay is there. So I'll do a walk, like a couple mile walk most days. And then I'll end it and just kind of sit in the park. And I guess you could call it meditate. I just kind of sit there and like think about what I'm grateful for and then think about things that I have. So the other part of law of attraction is being grateful for things that you don't yet have, but that you want, but as if it's already there. So we were talking about living 50-50. My dream, I would love to manifest living half the time here and half the time in Ohio where I'm from. So that's something I think about all the time. And, and they tell you to really, you know, sit down and imagine that you're, you're, that's, that's your day. And like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And be grateful for it and really try to feel the emotion. So that's, that's something I try to do. It's so true. You know, for the Miami manifestation, my sister and I walked down the street that's now the street that I live on. We like, we're walking and we were literally talking as if I lived there and we're like, mm-hmm. Oh, so we're going to get a coffee here. Then we're going to do our workouts. Like literally as if it was already here. I love that. And today, today's like one of the last days that we're going to be able to do our coffee thing. And we literally looked at each other and we we're like, this was what we talked. I was like, we're literally living the thing that we talked about right now. Like yeah. it's in, in today is actual reality. It's really crazy. It's so crazy, but, but it, it's, it it's so true. Yeah. It happens. And, and, and I think just having the the gratitude practice too just primes you to be grateful for everything throughout mm-hmm. the day and, and not get mad at silly things or not get mad in traffic and all those things that you normally would really ruin your day. It, I feel like I'm a different person than I was. 100%. It's, it's really like the most helpful thing I think we can probably leave our listeners with. Yeah. But what's like the biggest message that you want to that you want to send away? I feel like this manifestation thing is a huge one, but is there like a big message that you would want to leave our audience with? Yeah, I think just back to alignment, um, just exploring and experimenting with your life and do what makes you feel good. You know, it's not always practical. We all need to make money to live, but whatever twist you can have on your job or whatever next step you can take to feel more like you're doing what you're, you're supposed to be doing. And you might not know. Yeah. How do you, I feel like that was a question that I missed. I think it's a feeling. How do you know? I think it's a feeling for me. It's a feeling. I, I know like I said, when I'm in alignment, I feel good. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that took me a long time of trying different things to figure out what that was, especially I think for someone. Can you describe what that feeling feels like? Yes. It feels like gratitude. It feels like that, like warm, that warm feeling in your heart where you literally look around and you can't help but smile. And you're like, this, this is a good day. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful I'm here right now today. For me, that's what, that's what it feels like. So the takeaway is to try everything until you, until you feel something similar to that or like where you just feel at peace, I guess. At peace. That's the perfect word at peace. Like you don't feel like you have to please everyone. You don't feel like you have to run on the hamster wheel of life. You know, that stuff doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter. The success doesn't matter. What matters is how you feel every day. And are you, are you happy? Are you seeing your family? Are you seeing the people who make you feel good? 
like we're all going to die, you know, <laughs> this stuff does not matter. Like all the BS that we tell ourselves, we live our whole life chasing. doesn't matter. It's so true. It's so true. And it's like what, when you think about the money at the, what's the end goal of the money, right? Can't the end goal of the you. money is to hang out with your family. Yeah. Go hang out with your family. Right. Exactly. Is that what is the end goal to travel? Like if you actually think about it, you know, I mean, travel is not accessible to everyone, but like go travel, mm-hmm. Yeah. like do the thing that you actually want to do. Exactly. Now. Like this is, this is life right now. This is right now. <laughs> instead of waiting until you, you're, you're old enough to retire and take out your 401k and start living. You know, every time that I travel, I actually, I feel so lucky and grateful and I, I'm so grateful that I'm doing it young, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think my parents didn't, they really, you know, they did a little bit, but it was also a different time. I it's think a different a time. Now totally. we, we, it's accessible to us in so many different ways and there's ways 100%. to do it inexpensively and I think our generation is one that's going to really change history in that way. I think we're, we're more in tune with what we need for ourselves to live a fulfilling life. 100%. I can't wait to see what our babies are going to be like. If we're like, okay, you got to meditate. If the little boy in school was mean, like, what do you do? You breathe in. (laughs) Yep. For four, you hold. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) They're all going to be like little yogis. I love it. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. I'm so happy we finally were able to do it right before I leave. <laughs> I know. Me too. Thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where, oh, where can everyone find you? Oh, I am at the underscore skin enthusiast on Instagram and TikTok. So you can find me there. Oh, DM TikTok. me and my DMs are always open. So I'm Amazing. There, there to help. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.